Good morning. How's everyone doing? Good. Let's uh, go to our Bibles and turn to Matthew, or I'm sorry, Luke chapter 10. Luke 10. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's a that's a heavy, heavy command. And it's the golden rule. Right? We've heard that. It's like all Christianity growing up. Love your neighbor as yourself. We know this one. And the tendency that I'm afraid that I and we fall into is that that phrase becomes super... Basically, we've become callous to this phrase, right? We hear it so often, we taught it so often, told to do it, but we, it loses the weight because, well, because sin in the world, and we start to, um, we don't feel the weight of everything as we used to, but love your neighbor as yourself. That's what we're going to look at today in Luke chapter 10. And I'm praying, we'll pray in a second, that God would give us uh, really, really soft hearts to hear this. Like this phrase is like a sharp knife against skin. And if your skin is callous, then you won't hear the weight of what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. So we let's um, let's read and then we'll we'll pray and ask God to do that work because I can't do that. <laughs> Can't change anyone's heart, so let's read uh, Luke 10, verse 25. This is the parable of the Good Samaritan. Even that one is so well known. So let's read it. He says, Behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus replies to him, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he had had passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. When he saw him, he had compassion, and he went to him and bound his bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go 
and do likewise. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you would do something far greater than any man can do this morning. That's transform our hearts into radical love for others. God, please give us hearts that are soft so that we can really feel the intensity of what you're calling us to do. So, Lord, please uh, lead us this morning. Teach us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, here is the story, right? We've heard this parable before of the Good Samaritan. Um, But we have to look at it in the context that it's given. It's given in this context of a conversation between Jesus and the lawyer. That's who the story is told to. It's told to this lawyer. So we need to look at it from his point of view, okay? That's what we're going to do this morning. So, let's look at verse 25. It says, On one occasion, or behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, if any question is a good question in life, that is a phenomenal question, correct? What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Like when I share the gospel with people and you begin to ask what they believe and share Christ with them and they come back with that question, well, well what do I do to inherit eternal life? That's like, it's just soft toss. It's like, it's like Aaron Judge getting a fastball right down the middle of the plate from a slider and he dances, looks like a clown, but you throw him a fastball and he's licking his chops, correct? And this is what it's like. It's like he's just tossing it up to him. What do I do to inherit eternal life? Man, if any question is a question that needs to be asked, that is the question. It's a question that all of us have had to ask ourselves, and it's a question that all of us need to answer. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? And it seems like a really good question until we realize that the lawyer has other motives. Look at it. It says, the lawyer stood up to test him. Now, in, we're going to do a lot of this today. Is this, is a, this needs to be read from the, the viewpoint of a Jewish man in Jewish context. All right? So, when you stand up to speak to someone who is already standing, what you're doing is you're showing them respect. All right? So, this guy gets up to show Jesus respect. But the verse, we can't even leave verse 25, and it shows that his motives are mixed because it says he stood up to what? To put him to the test. You see that? So he's faking this respect and then coming to him and saying, hey, what do I got to do to inherit eternal life? So why is he doing that? It's probably because this guy has either seen Jesus or he's heard Jesus teach before. Okay? So he's either seen Jesus or heard Jesus teach before. And what he thinks that Jesus is going to say to this question is, I do whatever you want. Right? So, this guy has seen Jesus invite sinners into his home. He's seen Jesus eat with them. He's seen Jesus kind of push the law away at certain times, or what they think that he's doing, right? Jesus welcomes sinners, and so this guy thinks, oh, well, he's just going to blow this one off too. What do I have to do in inherent eternal life? You see the trap he's set in here? He's trying to trap Jesus and make him think, oh yeah, let's get him on this one, and then he's going to have some sort of heresy, and we don't have to fulfill the law, and this is how... We will trap him. Um, but Jesus doesn't respond like that. Jesus, Jesus answers a question 
with a question. I hate when people do that. Don't you hate that? Jesus was phenomenal at it. Right? Phenomenal. This is all over the all over the gospels. I had one, but I forgot it. Um, he does this all the time. So, he, Jesus says, he refers back to the law, right? He says in verse 26, he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Right? So, he's saying, what's the law? What does the law say? You're a lawyer. Tell us what it says. And so, instead of going through all the 600 plus commands of what the law requires of man to do, he gets the summary, right? The Shema. This is like, what the, all the Hebrews did in the Old Testament, um, Deuteronomy chapter 6, you, shall, you can sum up the whole law in this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your strength, and your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. So he refers back to the law. What does the law say? Well, this is what the law says. He gives them the summary. And Jesus says to him, verse 28, you have answered correctly. Do this and you live. But, verse 29, he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So, so far, this is what we have. We have this lawyer is asking Jesus who his neighbor is so that he can do it and inherit eternal life. See that? He's trying to recognize and understand what the requirement is that Jesus is telling him so that he can fulfill the law and inherit eternal life. And that's the question, who is my neighbor? That's the question that leads us into this parable of the Good Samaritan. So let's look at it from the lawyer's point of view here. Verse 30. Jesus replies to it. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Pause. Jerusalem. This is a real place. Jerusalem to Jericho is a real place on the map. And it was a 4,000 foot steep drop over 17 miles long. Right. So this is a journey of 4,000 feet downwards, going from Jerusalem to Jericho, over 17 miles long. But not only was it really steep and an intense hike, but it also was incredibly dangerous. So, there's actually a part on this road that they call the Bloody Way. Right? So it's dangerous because it's got tons of rocks and crevices and, and uh, dead ends and hideouts and caves where robbers and gangs would hide out and... and, and and jump people when they came by the bloody way. And so, this is a real place, and Jesus is putting this made-up story into real context for the sake of the man to understand it. So he puts him on this real place, and he's probably right at the bloody way. And so this guy, some random Jewish guy, right, in this story, he fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and departed, and they left him half dead. And the guy is left. You get that? He's left hanging on to his last breath. Like if someone were to even walk by, I don't know if he could yell out, help. I, I, don't, I don't know. Half dead? It's pretty bad. Bruised, beaten, bloody. 
And look at the way this story unfolds. Look at the, look at the phrase here in verse 31. Now by chance. See that? It just so happened. It's a specific phrase Jesus is using here. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. A priest of all people. A priest. If you're a Jewish guy, you're going, yes. Of all people who's going to help me, this is the guy who's going to help me. A priest. A priest comes walking by. And a priest was known for having to fulfill the law. He had to try to meet up. He had to love his neighbor as himself. He had to give alms to the poor. He had to help people in need all the time. That was his job. And so if anyone is going to help this guy, it's a priest. So he goes, a priest comes by. Yes, a priest. But look what happens. When he saw him, the priest saw the man. He passed by on the other side. Literally means he, he looked at him and went the other way. He specifically crossed the road and went around the guy intentionally. There's reasons for that, but it's still shocking. Of all people, a priest. So, verse 32, so likewise, by chance, a Levite. A Levite is a priest's assistant. He does all of these things, gives alms to the poor with the priest, helps them with the ritual duties, knows the commandments of God to love God and love your neighbor. And the Levite, when he came to the place, saw him passed by on the other side. He does the same exact thing. So now, think about this from the lawyer's point of view. It, it makes you think, who in the world is going to love this guy? If the priest passed by and the Levite passed by, then who's left? Who's going to help this guy? You see how the climax starts to build here? We get to this point where it's like, is anyone going to help this man? Who will stop and care for him? Or will he just die on the side of the road? And this is the point in the story where Jesus, he targets the heart of this lawyer listening to the story. And he says, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and had compassion. Now, the reason that this is targeting the, the lawyer's heart is because Jews and Samaritans hated each other. Deeply, gruesomely, had a massive ethnic hostility towards each other. Samaritans were the half-breed. Right? They were part Gentile, part Jew, and the Jews couldn't stand them. They weren't full purebreds like us. We're Jewish. We're God's people. We're the ones who crossed the Red Sea. We're the ones who inherit everything. The priestly line, that's us. And these Samaritans, these, these half-breeds, they hated them. Couldn't take them. And so, when the word Samaritan comes on the scene and it says that he had compassion, you've got to think about it from the lawyer, right? He's, he's like, all people, a stupid Samaritan comes. A Samaritan. It's not the guy he wants to know is helping the Jewish man. Samaritan has compassion on him. And likewise, too, Samaritans hated Jews. So a Samaritan to have compassion on a Jewish guy in this story is, is not in the likelihood either because Samaritans had the same exact hatred towards Jewish people. And so what the Samaritan was actually taught was not to help the guy, but to step on him and trample him. 
Put the flay, it'll blow down. He's half dead, kick him. That's what the Samaritans were taught to do. And so this is even shocking for the Jew, that a Samaritan is showing mercy. And look what the Samaritan does, verse 34. Verse 33 says he had compassion on him, a deep felt need that he couldn't let go. Verse 34, he went to him and bound his wounds, pouring oil and wine, then set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him, whatever more you need, I will repay you when I come back. The guy doesn't have limits on how he cares for him, right? There's, there's no limits. He gives him whatever he needs, whatever is necessary. Take two denarii. That's a lot of, that's mucho dinero, two denarii, okay? A lot of money. That's like two days worth of salary. A couple hundred bucks, bam. A couple hundred more bucks. And here's a little extra to take care of him. If I don't come back, I'll pay you whatever left. That's crazy. The Samaritan has compassion on him. And look at what Jesus does here in verse 36. This is where it starts to get really good. Jesus answers a question with a question. And he says, right, the question was, who is my neighbor? Look at what Jesus does. Verse 36. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? See that? Which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor? So Jesus has totally changed the question. Right? The first question was, who is my neighbor? And Jesus said, no, that's the wrong question. The question you should be asking is, how do I be a neighbor? Get that? That's what he does. Jesus totally flips the thing upside down. It's not about who is my neighbor. That should be obvious. Everyone's my neighbor. It's about what it means to be a neighbor. Right? That's what this text is showing us. That's what Jesus is targeting and showing this man. It's not about who's your neighbor. It's about what it means to be a neighbor. That's the main point of this text. It's about defining what it means to be a neighbor to someone who is in need. And look at the Look at the, lawyer, the lawyer's response to that. Jesus says, who proved to be the neighbor? The lawyer says, look at this. He said to him, the one who showed him mercy. Get that? He can't even say the word Samaritan. He hates him so much. He can't even get the words out of his mouth. It's like he doesn't even want to admit it. The one who showed him mercy. Samaritan showed him mercy. And Jesus says to him, you go and do likewise. So, the point of this text, and what we're going to look at, is that Jesus is exposing this lawyer's heart. He's exposing it. I showed you in verse 25 how it's, he's got wrong motives, but he, Jesus is exposing the man's heart throughout this entire passage. The lawyer's heart is wicked, And Jesus is showing them that he can't fulfill the law because he doesn't love his neighbor. Get that? Jesus is showing him that he can't fulfill the law 
because he doesn't love his neighbor. The man thinks he loves his neighbor, but he doesn't. And all Jesus has to do is mention the word Samaritan, and he sees he doesn't. So he's showing him that he doesn't actually love his neighbor. He's showing him that, here's the thing too, is that he's not only just showing him that he doesn't love his neighbor, but the Samaritan is wondering, how do I inherit eternal life? And what Jesus is showing him is it's that this loving your neighbor is not a way to inherit eternal life. It's a way of life, but it's not a way to life. All right. So yes, the law is right. We're supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves. We're supposed to obey that, but that won't save you. Get that? It's a way of life, but it's not a way to life. And this is why Jesus is at the beginning asking him the question. When he says, what shall I do to enter eternal life? Jesus responds by saying, what does the law say? You know why? What does the law do? The law exposes us. That's what it does, right? So, so here's the thing. Every single one of us in this room, all of us will and has failed every single moral law test. All of us. Every single one of us has failed a moral law test that has been thrown our way. You see, the law does not. It can't make you do it. The law, I've said this before, the law is this idea of it's like an x-ray machine, right? Like, What does an x-ray machine do? It, 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 when you think you have a broken bone, the x-ray machine shows you if it's broken or not, right? It, it takes the picture, it shows you, yep, there's a crack there, nope, there's not a crack there. It shows you where the broken bone is and that it's broken. But it doesn't heal your broken bone, right? That's what the law does. It exposes. And so here, Jesus is using the law and putting it right on this man's heart. He's saying, you've got, you got a broken heart. You can't love your neighbor. You, you have a broken heart. And look at what, even, even again, look at what the, the lawyer's trying to do here. He says, in asking, who is my neighbor? You get what he's doing there? He's asking Jesus, hey, what's the bare minimum I've got to do to inherit eternal life? Like, just the least amount. What, what, what do i got to do? He wants to be able to fulfill the law by his own actions, but he can't. So you know what he does? He changes it. He lessens it. He puts a new twist on the word love. Get that? He doesn't actually love his Samaritan, but he thinks he loves his neighbor. And so he changes the law. He has to lessen it if he's going to fulfill it, because the law is too much of a requirement for anyone to meet. And this man isn't doing it. And so... He, he lessens the commandment altogether. He can't fulfill the law, so he tweaks it. How do you and I lessen the law for the sake of trying to fulfill the law ourselves? There are three ways I kept thinking, man, I do this all the time. I lessen the law so that I can fulfill it, right? We, this is what we do. This is what I do. We limit the who... Okay? We limit the who, we limit the when, and we limit the how much. Those are three. There might be more, but those are three that just kept, I kept just seeing so clearly in my life. We limit the who. We only like to give and help people who are like ourselves. It's a natural thing that we do. We like to help people who are like ourselves. And we limit the when. 
we do not like to help those in need when they don't deserve it. Right? Listen, if, if, I'll help, I'll help people if they deserve it, right? Okay, if lightning strikes this guy's house and a tree falls on, okay, yeah, I'll help the guy out. But, if this guy is losing all of his money because he's gambling in a way, or if this guy's losing all of his livelihood because he's a, a drug addict, I ain't helping him. He's just going to keep giving it away. He's just going to keep losing it. You see what we do? We limit the when. And then the last thing we do is we limit the how much. We won't give unless we feel like we have enough for ourselves first. And if we give, we give with a strict, tight budget. We limit the how much. And Jesus puts this parable in a way that shows you you can't limit any of these three things. The Samaritan does not limit the who. This is a guy he hates. The Samaritan sees a Jew and he hates him. But he doesn't limit the who. The, the Samaritan sees the Jewish guy. He doesn't deserve his help. He should be kicking him. He doesn't limit the when. And the Samaritan does not limit the how much. He pays for everything from start to finish. He foots the entire bill. There's, there's no limits. And so that's what Jesus is showing us is that true love for God and for your neighbor has no limits. Get that? True love for God and for your neighbor has no limits. We can't put a limit on these things. And this is, this is crazy, right? This is absolutely, this is just crazy. Like, that's crazy love. Look at, look at what God requires from us, right? This is what God requires from us. Love like this. Love without limits. He requires from us and commands us to love our neighbors as ourselves. He commands us to love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our strength, and all of our mind. That's a lot. And that's a completely and totally devotedness to loving Him. You see that? Completely. Every area of your life, love God. That's the command. Undivided love and affection for Jesus. And then, second, an undivided love and affection for other people. That's what God expects from us. When we, when we say we have to fulfill the law, 600 plus commands, it seems like a lot, right? But when you boil it down to these two, it's only two commands. I could do that. No. This is huge. God is requiring from us massive, massive efforts and This is bigger than what we can do. So here we go. The lawyer, but remember, the lawyer asks him, who is my neighbor? Right? So he says, who is my neighbor? And Jesus shows him what it means to be a neighbor. So what God requires from us is Samaritan-like love. Samaritan-like actions. Samaritan compassion. He took care of the man's physical needs. He took care of the man's emotional needs took care of the man's future needs. And the list goes on. I mean, verse 34 is crazy. This is 
radical compassion. He went up to him and bound his wounds, pouring oil on him, puts him on his own donkey, sets him in the inn. Think about this. He takes this guy who he should hate and he puts his... He maybe We don't know this is true, but where's he getting the cloth from? Maybe he's ripping sleeves off. Maybe he's pulling out his cloth. He puts his own cloth on the guy. Takes his own wine, starts disinfecting the cuts and the wounds. Takes his own oil and uses it to soothe the man in his cuts and his wounds. Puts the guy on his own horse. Brings him to the inn and pays out of his own pocket. And says, whatever else left, I got it. That, that's radical. It's beyond us. And this is what Jesus requires from us. And, I forgot to mention this, and he does this, the Samaritan does this at his own risk because he's in the bloody way. right? He's traveling down the bloody way. And when someone gets jumped, the robbers usually don't just leave. They go and hide out for the next guy coming by. And so the Samaritan not only risks his, his time, his money, but he also risks his security and his comfort. He puts all of it aside. He knows that robbers could be waiting out in the corner for him. He knows that. But he doesn't care because of the compassion he feels in his heart. If you want to talk about radical compassion, you want to talk about sacrificial love, unconditional mercy, the Samaritan gives of his time, his effort, his safety, his comfort, his money, and meets all this guy's needs. Now, have, have you ever done something like that? Think about it. Don't raise your hand. <laughs> have you ever done something like that? Have you ever seen someone in massive, urgent need and you do whatever you can without question or hesitation to meet someone else's need, a stranger, I'm guessing that you have. You have. And I have. Because the someone whose needs that we have met is ourselves. When you were in need, when you were in urgent need, you did whatever you could without question without hesitation, and you met that need. You see that? And Jesus is saying to us, love your neighbor like this. That's how you love your neighbor. Love your neighbor, love strangers, love your enemies like this. not normal. This passage is so weighty. You see this? This passage is so weighty. I've been studying this for weeks. I've been so convicted. Because here's the thing. Yes, this is impossible. Absolutely impossible. And the conclusion I keep coming to is, man, like, I, don't, I don't do this. 
I don't, I don't do that. I don't love my neighbor like that. Not, like, not like that. I mean, I love people that I know. I love people in here sometimes. I love my family. I love some of my neighbors who are across the street. But I don't love strangers like that. Not like that. Are you kidding me? This is, but this is what Jesus is requiring of us. So what are we going to do? I don't give my money to people who I don't think deserve it. I don't invite people over my house who are different from me or speak a different language or from a different country. I don't do that. But that's what Jesus is requiring. Love your neighbor as yourself. And for so long, I'm finally starting to realize in this story, I'm the lawyer. I'm the lawyer. I've been trying to meet and fulfill the law by my own needs. And I've put limits on it so that I can. I've limited the who. I've limited the when. I've limited the how much. I've done all of that. Even um, just this last week, I think it was last Monday, uh, I went to, it was, uh, I don't know what day it was, but you guys remember there was that big windstorm and like tons of trees were falling over. Um, I, uh, I I got up, I went to work that morning, and as I was driving, I even saw like a tree, it was like on someone's house, there's power lines down everything. I get into work, I work in my parents' garage, I have a shop back there, and I get in there, and in the backyard towards the left is this house of, um, there's about there's about like 20 Hispanics living in this tiny little house back there. There's tons of cars, and I look back there, and there's a tree, huge tree, fell down, landed on three of their cars, crushed them. And I'm looking at them, like, oh man, and a, a couple people come out of the house, and there's about five or six guys, and they're trying to push this tree uh, off of their cars. I'm just sitting in my shop looking at them, and it hits me. Love your neighbor as, as yourself. Push it away. I don't want to do that. And I come up with, like literally, my mind can come up with so many good excuses. So many. Just rapid fire. Bam, 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 bam. I don't want to help them. I don't even know if they speak English. I've never even talked to them before. Like, they got like 20 guys back there. They'll be able to get it off. Like, they got a chainsaw. They're, they're good. Like, they don't need my help. But what kept coming back, love your neighbor as yourself. Couldn't get it out of my mind. So Gage comes down. We start working. I'm like, oh man, we get they get the tree off, and we're, I'm like, oh, I, get, I gotta get a chainsaw or something. So we, I go, I, I drive down and borrow a chainsaw from a friend. I come back, start cutting it up, and I, I walk over, and I'm like, hey, amigo, and he's, so I start cutting this tree up with him, and we're picking it up, putting it away. There's Gage is talking in Spanish. I'm like blubbering in Spanish, some stupid stuff, and we're just cutting this thing up, and we get it all done. And it was great. They were. Super thankful, and but but after I had to I had to re-examine my heart because because of all those thinking excuses I had, and for one of the first times in my life, God began to expose in me a hatred towards other people of other ethnicities. Yet I didn't actively hate them, but I wasn't willing to help automatically. I wasn't willing to get into their lives and to know them. I wasn't willing to bear their burdens. 
I wasn't willing to invite them over to my house. I wasn't willing to understand their problems and their needs. I wasn't ready for any of that. I don't want to do that. But this is what Jesus is getting at. It's not just about thinking, oh yeah, I'm good. I I love my neighbor. I don't hate anyone. No, no, no. It's more than that. It's, It's getting into people's lives and bearing their burdens as your own. It's what it means to be a neighbor. What it means to be a neighbor is that we see the urgent need around us and we meet that urgent need regardless of who it is, when it happens, or what it will cost you. That's what it means to be a neighbor. Meet the need of your neighbor with all the force, all the energy, all the solitude, and all the power as you would meet your own needs. Their need is your need. Their happiness, your happiness. Their problems, your problems. You see that? That's what it means to be to love your neighbor. And here's the thing: I'm not, like we don't we don't have to cross like the sea and go to Africa to find people in need. Like sometimes you're just gonna cross the Q Bridge. Like New Haven has prostitutes and drug addicts and homeless people and orphans. Like all of these people are right in our backyard. And sometimes you don't even get to cross the Q Bridge; you get across the road. Refugees all over the place around us, don't know the gospel. And so, we'll we'll finish up with this last point, but this point is probably the most important of all the points made today. And I've kind of said it a few times, but I really want to hammer this, this home. More than I've been convicted that I don't love my neighbor as myself. Okay, I, I've been convicted about that, but more than that is that I'm realizing I can't. I can't do it. And you can't do it. No one can. None of us has the capacity to have radical love by nature. And so, if we can't do it ourselves, then how are we going to do it? And I'll tell you that we can't do it, but sometimes we just naturally fall back into sinful ways and try to do it ourselves. It's just, it just happens. And so one way that we need to observe that we cannot try and love our neighbor is, is we cannot do it out of guilt. Okay? Of all things, do not try to love your neighbor out of guilt because I'm sure like some of us are in here and we're like, man, I don't do that either. Like, oh, i got to give. And here's, here's the idea that we even think is that, man, I have so much, they have so little, let me give to them. That's guilt. And that's wrong. And that's not what Jesus requires of us. Because think about it, right? When Jesus sets up this story, he does it in a way where he brings a priest and a Levite, two guys who obey the law out of their own duty and out of their own strength. And what happens? When they see the Samaritan, they can't do it anymore. See that? He's showing us that if you try to do this law, love your neighbor as yourself, out of your own strength and your own duty and out of guilt, you will fail. You might do it for a little bit, 
but you'll fail eventually. And that's not meeting the requirement Jesus has given us to love our neighbor as herself. And so, if any of you are feeling guilty this morning, that you, maybe you need to do a little more, ah, oh, man, I should do... Stop. We can't have that because that doesn't work. It never has and it never, ever will. So, here is the key to the parable. Alright, this is it. This is, this is huge. The key to the parable is that Jesus places the lawyer in the story as the man who is beaten up, bloody, bruised, and left half dead. Right? So think about this, right? If Jesus, if Jesus told the story in a different way, okay? So if Jesus told the story in a way that said, um, okay, so there was a guy, a Jewish guy, coming down the road, and he was walking down the bloody way, and he saw a Samaritan who was half dead and hanging on for his life. And the Jewish guy went and said, hey, Samaritan, I'll help you out. And he did all these things, and he helped him out. You know what the lawyer would say to that, if he heard that story? He said, that's ridiculous. No, no we don't do that. I hate this guy. Like, whatever, Jesus. You, you don't move me. Your stories are stupid. Like, this is, this is dumb. Because, because if that was the case, you see what would happen is the story would mean that the Jew has to, has to muster up his own strength to love people. He would have to require of himself, a lo- and that's what Jesus would be telling him. But Jesus doesn't tell the story like that. Jesus doesn't give him a do it. He gives him a dynamic. He gives him a story, and he puts the lawyer in the story as the man who was beaten, bruised, bloody, and half dead. And this is the key to it. Because you and I will not love our neighbor as ourself on our own strength. And we will not radically neighbor someone if we have not been radically neighbored. Understand that. You will not love your neighbor if you have not been loved by a neighbor. And that neighbor is Jesus because Jesus has lovingly neighbored us. Think about it. Jesus has come to our place in the road, saw us dead in our trespasses and sins. He had compassion on us. And he knew that loving us would not only be him risking his life to help us, but it would be giving his life to help us. It would cost him his life. Jesus gets down and puts us up on his place. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. He puts us in his place. And if you see Jesus as your radical neighbor, it will, it will transform you to be a neighbor. That's what it's about. It's about who's your neighbor. It's about what it means to be a neighbor. The only way we can do this is if we're radically transformed by Jesus neighboring us. Let's pray. Actually, let's, um, I'll pray and we'll just jump right into corporate prayer and... Uh, Uh, Johnny, you close this. So 15 minutes, correct?
All right, this is starting corporate prayer right now. God, thank you for loving us when we did not deserve it. I mean, there was nothing good in us. And you had compassion on us. God, there is no one like you. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity, casting our sins into the depths of the sea? The wages of our sin is death, and you have foot the entire bill, and you laid down your life for it. God, thank you for loving us. I ask that you would use your love that you show here to transform us to be loving neighbors like your son. God, help us to lean into the power of the Holy Spirit to do this every day. Amen.